You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. From that day on, we was always together. Mackey and Judd. Like peas and carrots. On 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd's press coverage. Mackey and Judd's three technique. Mackey and Judd's two-minute drill. All right, meat and potatoes time, because we're going to talk about a new Vikings assistant coach hire here, Matthew Collar. Todd Downing. Who uh, is, by the way, is an Eden Prairie native, so one of us, hashtag one of us, entering his 18th season. He was with the Vikings in the early 2000s from, this is like the end of the Denny Green era and the beginning of the Mike Tice era, as just an intern and a football systems analyst, and he's worked his way up. He was the quarterback's coach for a number of different teams, including early Matt Stafford in Detroit, uh, Buffalo Bills, 2014, he was the quarterback's coach. So you might even have covered him when you were at WGR in Buffalo. And most recently, he was the offensive coordinator for the Raiders in 2017, working with Derek Carr and then the quarterback's coach. Uh, so Filippo was Derek Carr's first quarterback's coach in 14. And then Downing was his second quarterback's coach and his offensive coordinator. So again, it's like on paper, who knows what a guy is really like. I've never met Downing before, so I can't speak to that. But what I love about this hire... Mike Zimmer, especially on the offensive side of the ball, has gone out and said since day one, the the defense is mine. And now that I don't know about offense, I'm going to help you guys from a big picture standpoint. But I'm going to put smart people with previous head coaching experience, with coordinating experience, put smart people in a room, Pat Shermer, Norv Turner for a while. That didn't work. Okay, get Norv Turner out. Tony Sperano, former head coach. Put a bunch of smart people in a room and let them figure out how to go about business. And so it sounds like Downing is going to oversee the passing game and have that be his specialty. But uh, he's a young dude, and he's got some good experience, and he's worked with a lot of good young quarterbacks and some good passing games, and I like it on paper, Matthew. I think that Mike Zimmer realized a little bit of the error of his ways, though, early on when handing everything over to Norv Turner. So, there, I mean, there is a little bit of the too many cooks in the kitchen thing, but I, I don't think that this is that. I mean, Brad Childress, wasn't he – was he – running game coordinator or he was spread game spread analyst with the game Chiefs. Analyst. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these they are getting to be tremendously funny when it comes to these uh, job titles, but I mean like more, a little more help here from Todd Downing, probably an in-between job for him where he comes here, hopes to have a lot of success and then gets an offensive coordinator job. And we may see John D Filippo come here, have some success and end up as a head coach for the, the next time around. Uh, but the, the as much as they could possibly do to continue to build on what they had last year, you want to add every person that's necessary to do that. And I do wonder what type of influence a move like this has on the quarterback situation. I don't know who Todd Downing would prefer or if he knows Teddy Bridgewater, if he knows Case Keenum or any of that. But it's another voice in the room to talk about how they're going to design their passing game, who they're going to design it around. And that's where John Filippo's most important influence is right away is that they've already talked about it, Rick Spielman and him, about him 
playing a big role in who the quarterback ends up being. I don't think this is just Mike Zimmer saying, nope, I want Bridgewater. He'll yeah. have one of the final say votes. The strongest vote it goes to Mike Zimmer because he's got to coach the guy. Uh, but it sounds like it's going to be a complete organizational decision, and I wonder if Downing plays a role in that as well. Yeah, you know, so you and I were talking about something before the show, Case Keenum related, and I want I want to bring up this hypothetical slash reality Put yourself in the shoes of a Rick Spielman and especially a Mike Zimmer. And then, like, think of a parallel example in your life, all right? You're on the fence about somebody, a coworker, a relative, whatever it may be. A producer. A producer. Could be a, could be a wife, a husband. Who Dave, knows? Dave's not listening. It's okay. Whatever it may be. You're on the fence about somebody. <laughs> listening. Chose <laughs> not to pay attention. Um, so... You are kind of 50-50 on the fence, and in this case, Mike Zimmer was very 50-50 on the fence about Case Keenum. We didn't crown him starter publicly ever until sort of like the late uh, you know, weeks 15, 16, 17 portion of the season where, yeah, he's the starting quarter. But he never flat out said, I love Case Keenum, he's our guy, and we would love to get married and invest in him long term. You're on the fence with somebody and in a crucial moment in that relationship they bleep up in a major fashion. 7 nothing lead on the road, NFC Championship game. Case Keenum throws not only an interception that maybe takes three points off the board for the Vikings, because I think they were going to go down. They were moving the ball. They were going to go down and score at least three points and take a 10 nothing lead, which completely changes the complexion of that game. He throws the interception. Yeah, but the offensive line this, he got hit. He threw the interception. We can play the blame game all we want. He threw an interception, and it got brought back all the way for a touchdown. So if you're undecided about somebody and they let you down in a crucial moment in life or on a football field, doesn't that kind of spell the end in your mind? Like, have you ever had that happen where, you know, I don't know about this person. And then they totally drop the ball on something and you think, yep, you know, I'm, I'm good on that. I'm going to go, I'm going to move on mentally to something else like that. That's kind of what that interception felt like in a lot of ways in the NFC championship game. Uh, Trying to think of a cross sport comparison here. Maybe the Minnesota wild from last year where you know who they are, you know at the heart of the Minnesota Wild, they're a team that can't go deep in the playoffs because they just don't have it, and you could talk yourself into it, but your nightmare is, if you're Bruce Boudreaux, we go into that playoff series and we don't have it. And that's exactly what happened last year. Mike Zimmer's deepest, darkest, worst nightmare last year, knowing that he had a top roster in the NFL, knowing that he had the number one defense, his nightmare was Case Keenum throws a pick six in the NFC title game. Mm-hmm. It, you know that at 1 o'clock in the morning every day he woke up and went, ah, Keenum, mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking Absolutely. he's going to throw the pick six. Yeah. And he let us. He gave a, a pretty good window into that after he threw the two interceptions against Washington, and Zimmer was still talking about it weeks later. He just was completely off of out of his mind yes. that you could throw those two picks while we're up by two touchdowns and let Washington back in that game when they were both such ill-advised throws. And then he did it against the Saints, and then he did I know, what was it? It was tipped, right? Or his arm was hit. His chest was, was thwacked in the Philadelphia Eagles game. But to your point, in Mike Zimmer's mind, this is, this is an exercise of putting yourself in the shoes of Mike Zimmer. He was furious about the Washington picks. He was mad about the New Orleans pick. They got away with all of them because, you know, credit to Case Keenum. He threw another, threw a great pass to Diggs, and they go and score a touchdown. But if we can sit here on the outside and say logically, yeah, but, like, the offensive line was probably more to blame for the Philadelphia interception, then somebody can, like, for God's sakes, tackle the guy before he scores a touchdown. 
in Mike Zimmer's mind, he's thinking, that's the thing I was worried about the entire time with Keenum. That interception right there in a key moment, whether it was 10% his fault or 90% Uh his fault, the interception happened and he was the quarterback, and it validated all of my fears from six weeks ago. And it's always driven me nuts when... People say, oh, well, the quarterback didn't have a chance. It's always the offensive line. There are some people when they want to defend a quarterback, they always go, it was the offensive line. It was the offensive line. As if Sam Bradford couldn't have taken a risk on Thanksgiving Day against the Lions two years ago to try and make a big time throw down the field. Or as if Teddy Bridgewater also didn't have a trash offensive line in 2015. Uh, Somebody told me a really good stat. Um, One of my friends, Eric Eager, who joins the Purple Podcast from time to time on Uh, he's from Pro Football Focus, that in 2015, Bridgewater led the NFL in throwaways, which you might go like, oh, well, that's not good, right? Can't handle the pressure or something. But it's it's the opposite, Like like checking down is better than throwing it away, right? This would be the opposite, though, because TJ Clemmings and Matt Khalil were his tackles, so when he was under pressure and had no other option, instead of risking a turnover, he would just throw the ball away, which is exactly what Mike Zimmer wants you to do. I don't think that Zimmer is some absurdly conservative coach or anything like that. But what drives him insane is taking risks that didn't need to be there and ending up in interceptions. The one against New Orleans is worse than the one against Philadelphia. That's just the one that cost you the game. But in New Orleans, you get the pressure and just wing it. And he had done that way too many times. That's where I come kind of back around to it's hard to see them investing long-term in Keenum. Maybe you're going with a one-year franchise tag because you're not sure what Teddy has, and then you say, hey, you guys go at it in training camp, and whoever wins, wins. We'll just have a quarterback competition. Um, But it's hard to see them because the last impression of Teddy Bridgewater is him leading a drive that should have been a game-winning drive against the Seahawks, and the last impression of Case Keenum is the pick against New Orleans and the Uh, pick six against the Eagles, and the strip sack was on him too. I mean, you've got to know on that play that it's a defensive end against the tight end and that you're probably going to be getting pressure from that backside. So even though the offensive line didn't do their job, you don't have to get strip sacked and you don't have to throw a pick six where you get hit. Yeah, and like so the the off it's it's always like you said, easy to blame the offensive line if the quarterback gets hit or throws a pick because there's pressure. But let me give you an example here. We can all agree Peyton Manning, not exactly the most nimble guy, not going to run away from ferocious edge rushers and blitzers. In fact, Peyton Manning would often, when he was sacked, would just turtle in the fetal position to avoid taking a hit. Mm -hmm. So most quarterbacks get sacked on average at least twice per game over the course of the long run, closer to probably three times per game, where you're going to get sacked like 40 times in a season. Like that's a pretty standard number. Now, one year, David Carr got sacked about 75 times (laughs) or something ridiculous, and he was never the same quarterback. Peyton Manning, for his entire career, and especially toward the end, on average, was only sacked once per game. In fact, he had a couple seasons where he was sacked 10 times in 2009 in a full year, 14 times the year before that, 14 times in 2006. This is all after the age of 30, when he's less mobile and when he's less able to to run away from defenders. Now, you could take that one of two ways. You could say, well, yeah, the guy had ridiculously good offensive lines, and he did have Jeff Saturday, and more often than not, Peyton Manning had good offensive lines. But I contend that great quarterbacks, whether you're mobile or not, elevate offensive lines in the passing game by just knowing when pressure's coming, where it's coming from. 
If it's rickety, you adjust protections at the line of scrimmage, and you don't make those throws that change games. And again, going back to Mike Zimmer, he's looking at that NFC Championship game, already on the fence about Case Keenum, thinking, man, when the game was still in the balance and we needed a big throw or at least a non-interception, a non-pick six, or I think it was toward the end of the first half, the strip sack, right? Just just need to get three points out of this thing. Just need to not give them three or seven points. And you take that hit and you let the ball go. And yes, logically, is it 100% Case Keenum's fault? No. But if you're on the fence about somebody and they let you down, that doesn't go away in your mind. If he hadn't done it against New Orleans too, and it was just the one game, maybe, but the pick against New Orleans is incredibly egregious. I mean, you're up 17 to 7 at that point. If you're if you even just kneeled down there and then punted it away, you'd be in a much better position than if you just winged it into the secondary. And that's a lot of the difference when it comes to the guys who end up in the Super Bowl lot and the guys who have never got there is either they're like Sam Bradford where it's so ultra conservative, it's the Alex Smith theory. They're so ultra conservative in big situations that they don't give you a chance or that they take too many risks, which I think is where Case Keenum is. And I'm not sure you can get that out of him uh, where you could just say, oh, stop taking risks because Zimmer tried. I mean, he called him out through the media and he said he had conversations with him and everything else not to make those big mistakes when you get pressure, when you get outside the pocket and it wasn't even just the pick against New Orleans. There was another one that he almost threw that wasn't intercepted that was even worse of a thrower, just as bad, at the end of the game in field goal position where he rolled out of the pocket and got pressured and just winged it up toward Kyle Rudolph, and the safety was just ever so close to ending the season entirely because he just launched it up there. And he didn't have much success doing it either. Throws past 20 yards, he went 11 for 41. It wasn't like, oh, man, the guy wings it down. It's not like the Favre thing where he hits on so many of them that he's going to take those risks because he thinks he can make it. It was just this is one of the things that's part of having him as your quarterback, and I wonder if they're looking at it through the lens of, well, we're going to be in the playoffs. It's really the quarterback who can win it for us in the playoffs, not just who can get us there, who can make us a relevant team, which if you're someone like the Jets, you might be looking at, Uh, Kirk Cousins and saying, well, he's going to make us relevant right off the bat, and we're going to be at least competitive. The Vikings are looking a cut above that. 763, or try it again, 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Matthew Collar from the Purple Podcast. Um, Let's get Peter King had a couple interesting thoughts on who should or will start at quarterback for the Vikings in week one. And um, a little bit later on, we'll get Matthew's thoughts on the wild, too. All right, listen up, pay attention. Mackie and Judd are back. Action! On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd, Matthew Collar hanging out for Judd today. Judd's back tomorrow. And we are knees, if not even like waist deep, into... Reckless speculation. Reckless speculation right now. Peter King is as well. So, Matthew, you found Peter King's thoughts on what might or should happen at the Vikings quarterback spot, let's use that as a jumping off point well, here. I have his thoughts on every open quarterback spot, if you want me to just run through them. He thinks that Kirk Cousins ends up with Denver, which I could definitely see that. Yeah. He's got Arizona ending up with A.J. McCarron, Cleveland with Sam Darnold and Sam Bradford, the New York Jets with Baker Mayfield and Josh McCown, New Orleans keeping Drew Brees, 
The New York Giants getting Josh Allen. The Vikings keeping Keenum and Bradford. Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, Bridgewater. And uh, Buffalo getting Josh Rosen. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson. And the Miami Dolphins ending up with Tyrod Taylor. That's how he's got things playing out. So Peter King thinks that Keenum and Bridgewater are going to be back. And he wrote in his is little section. Is this reporting section, or just opin- opining? This is just guessing. Okay. This is just his reckless speculation. And his section, he wrote, it's so boring that I kind of don't like it. It's not fun. It's not like, oh, they you know end up with Drew Brees. But it's the most likely scenario. And I would agree with him uh, that I think Bridgewater is on some sort of incentive deal or a short-term contract with a decent chunk of guaranteed money and Case Keenum would be with the transition tag or franchise tag. Transition tag will save him a little money, and if anybody else offers him a huge contract, the Vikings can choose whether to match that or let him go. Yeah. So here's another question. So they, I think the Vikings, it's fair to say the Vikings are very curious about Teddy Bridgewater long-term still, but mm-hmm. are still holding out all reservations, right? Like, Yep. They don't know, just like we don't know, but Rick Spielman drafted him, and Mike Zimmer has professed his love for him for four years now. And if, if Rick, you know, Rick Spielman has an ego, just like any anyone who's driven and running a football team or a sports organization, you hear the criticisms. And the two biggest criticisms of Rick Spielman are playoff, lack of success. I think he has one playoff win since he's been with the organization for 10 or 11 years and hasn't found a franchise quarterback. Mm. So that's one reason why Spielman and Mike Zimmer are going to want to keep taking a look at Teddy Bridgewater. But if they get to the late portions of the first round, and there's an interesting name or two on the quarterback board. Let's say a Lamar Jackson Mm -hmm. is still sitting out there late in the first round. Lamar Jackson, who not only threw for about almost 4,000 yards with Louisville last year as a junior, he ran for 1,600 more and seven yards per carry. So he's putting together these crazy numbers in college against pretty good competition. You know, if if you were in that chair, I would definitely be interested. I don't think you should close that door if a guy like that falls to the late portions of the first round. If Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have his contract toll and decides he wants to go play somewhere else, which is a possible outcome, he doesn't have to love Minnesota so much that he needs to be a Viking for life. The Dolphins might offer him a contract, and if that happened, he might say, all right, I'm going to go home and play in Miami, where I'm from. Uh, In that case, if you were just bringing back Keenum on the franchise tag, then if Lamar Jackson was around, I would definitely be in on that. Lamar Jackson is the guy this year who's the obvious, going to drop in the draft for stupid reasons and will be a hit. You see it all the time throughout the draft history. Aaron Rodgers was once that guy. Well, you know, he didn't come from the right type of system. Something like, okay, Teddy Bridgewater is that guy. Well, you know, his pro day. Like, Russell Wilson's he's, he's like height. four feet tall, right? The guy can't even. The guy needs a stool in the huddle. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and Russell Wilson was just at the very height of all the athleticism, all the traits. He had an unbelievable arm. He was drafted in Major League Baseball. Like this guy has a phenomenal arm. He had great makeup. He was highly intelligent. And yet he somehow drops. I mean, even Dak Prescott was kind of this guy, too. Like, he doesn't have the ideal size or whatever. There's always some sort of knock that really shouldn't be there. And with Lamar Jackson, being good at running somehow is a problem for some of these people. Well, you know, I mean, he's uh, more of an athlete than a quarterback. I don't see that. And you won't be surprised that I have gone back and gone through a couple of his games through every play 
And he does not always just look to run first. That's what you watch for. You watch for if a guy's just a running quarterback, if when his first read isn't there, then he just runs. That is not Lamar Jackson. A lot of his running came from designed runs because they didn't have a very good team. Yeah. Now, one thing I would, I would, and, and if you've watched the film, then you've watched a lot more Lamar Jackson than I have. I mean, I've watched him on national TV in different games. The one thing when looking at the numbers that I would put a little bit of stock into, and it's what, it's, it's one thing that separated Aaron Rodgers in college and Russell Wilson in college, especially his last year, and Lamar Jackson. If you're under 60% completion, and that's just, I know that it's just one thing, but if you're under 60% completions in college, it doesn't really translate well for your chances to be accurate in the NFL. Like I, So I watched Deshaun, I'm a Notre Dame fan, so I watched Deshaun Kaiser play a ton of games in college, and I could have told you, and he was under 60% his his uh, second year as a starter at Notre Dame as a junior, like he's not accurate enough. So, you know, even if he's a great leader in all these things, he's not accurate enough. I've seen him play enough in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers, 66% completions his final year at Cal. Russell Wilson was 73%. Lamar Jackson, under 60%. That wouldn't prevent me from drafting him. But it's not much saying, under, like, it's not much, right? What's his senior year? It's like, like 59%. Yeah, okay. But I want, like, in a passing era, I want... 65, 66% do, go dominate in that category. Well, but he, I mean, he could still be the 11th best quarterback in the NFL because he can run and he can pick up yardage and extend plays. Well, one part of that is that his wide receivers dropped a lot of passes. And there isn't a stat out there in college football for how many receiver drops you had. But when I watched the games back, there were dimes on the money that got dropped pretty routinely by very mediocre supporting cast. So that's part of it. They also asked him to throw the ball down the field. And the guy has a, a pretty darn good arm, and their offense was not dink and dunk out to the running backs. It was him making throws down the field, which would impact what your completion percentage ends up being. Yeah, 651-646-8255. A uh, couple people on hold want to talk Vikings quarterback. Uh, Chancey, do you have some reckless speculation for us? Absolutely. I'll give it to you, Phil. In fact, I've got two write-that-down predictions for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Reckless so, uh, speculation. Wow, this is exactly. a big call here from Chansey. All right, fire away, dude. <laughs> well, we'll roll them out, but let me give you, let me give you one thing first. I, I'm, uh, I've called in several times. I feel like this Keenum-Bridgewater conversation has been going on since about week four of the season. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, either 1,500 uh, ESPN must have done their market research and said, hey, we get a rating spike every time we talk about this because it seems like it's every hour and a half so uh, we to, start to talking be, about it. To but, be honest, the answer is, in terms of like interest, people are more, and it's not, yeah, and we do research on this type of stuff, but people are much more interested in Vikings off-season discussion than most anything else in-season even, barring like a playoff run. It, so it's I know also, it drives some people crazy, but it is... It's what it shows. I mean, it's also like your news talk stations are probably talking about the president of the United States because it's the biggest, most important position. And it's the same thing for us. Yeah, that's I why mean, Nickelback gets played a lot when they're, you know, 12 years ago. It might drive some people crazy, but numbers show that although okay, the Vikings now, quarterback now situation the is not Nickelback. Now, I don't know why I just yeah, compared it yeah, that, that way. Was, that was bad. Get, carry on with your phone call. Well, I, I count me in that group that does uh, prefer the Vikings offseason talk over, uh, let's say, Lynx basketball or something. So I have no, uh, no problem with the conversation. I was just making the observation. But uh, I will say this, you know, I, I've been in the Keenum camp all the time. I almost hope that Bridgewater gets a chance to play now because I want some of these theories to either be proven or debunked. Uh, yeah. That, that Mackie, you know, you've been talking, okay, the Vikings uh, had a run-centered offense around Adrian Peterson, and Caller will say, the offensive line when uh, Bridgewater played was terrible, and they didn't throw the ball at the goal line, and that's the touchdown numbers. Fine. 
I almost want to see Bridgewater play just so I can see if I was right or not at this point because I don't believe it. But uh, as long as those excuses keep hanging out there, I guess we will never know. That's but fair. I'll, yeah. give you my, I'll give you my write-that-down prediction. Write that down. If Bridgewater and Keenum are both on the roster uh, when spring – well, when fall camp breaks, Keenum will win the starting job. Number two, if Bridgewater somehow does win the job, the Vikings will finish no better than 8-8, eight and eight, probably 8-8 eight and eight or lower on their record. And number three, I don't know how this will be quantifiable, but the uh, first poor interception – the Bridgewater throws. Matthew Collar will be back on this radio station <laughs> making the same excuses that he won't give to Keenum about the offensive line and somebody let a guy come through and his arm was nicked. And you'll hear the exact same excuses, only this time it'll be an excuse for Bridgewater. And when it's Keenum, it doesn't count. Write That's this down. Wow, Chancey coming you know, in, coming well, in hot. A little collar drive by there no, it's, too. It's really, it's really it. a, a perfect for how po- uh, politics get talked about today. Of we. Like, we, we lay out facts on this, like not throwing at the goal line and how their offense ranked 16th in scoring and 7th in scoring percentage. So when they had the ball with Teddy Bridgewater, they were scoring. Late fourth quarter down by a score. Bridgewater's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when they're asking the quarterback to do this work. These are facts. These are these are statistics that you could be shown right here. They yes. ran Matt Asiata at the goal line. It happened all the time. You he was, saw it. He you? was their feature back. And, yeah. and then this person says that's an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's a fact. It's a reason they went 11-5. and five. Sounds like an they, excuse. It's the reason they won a lot of games, because their offense was pretty darn effective. And if you're going to tell me that Charles Johnson was as good of a wide receiver as Adam Thielen, that is also not a very good argument. Well, so it's, actually, it's just, no, I love it's, the well-actually guy. It's the perfect encapsulation of how people talk about politics because you can give all the factual information you want and they'll go, nah, you know, it's cold outside today. So I'm not sure about this weather thing. Like it's, it's amazing. I just, I'm not buying it. Like, you know what? Maybe next year I get, if Teddy Bridgewater wins the job, yes, he will throw an interception. But one of the things he did not do, and you would be hard pressed to find was be up by 10 points and fling a ball senselessly into the secondary for no reason whatsoever, which Case Keenum did on a pretty regular basis. And I can show you, I've watched every play from both of these guys in purple. These are not excuses. These are truths. Now, whether he comes back and plays great, I don't know, because his knee blew up into a million pieces. So if he doesn't come back and play well, I don't know. I mean, I, there's no way to predict. Yeah, most then you'll, players well, then who, you'll just make excuses most like you always who, do. That's right, fine. Yes, <laughs> it'll be an excuse when I say most people who had this injury never stepped on a field again. Somehow that will be an excuse as well. Well, like, look, there's a reason why Mike Zimmer wanted to put Deddy Bridgewater back in. There's a reason why the entire locker room buys into Bridgewater. Because they don't care about your fantasy stats. They don't care about 14 touchdowns. They care about an offense that was pretty darn effective despite North Turner running it. North Turner, who resigned because he messed up everything so badly, right? That same guy. This is a quarterback, and, like, right? So, like, it, that's just that's Can just we get Chancey to call in every segment? Because wow. it, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. That to was call an amazing drive by. Like, These that, are truths. An amazing drive. I was going to poke you a little more, Cobb, but now I almost feel bad. That really hurts you, didn't it? 
No, it's 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 fine. It's just <laughs> okay. I think it just encapsulates how a lot of people decide on something first. I These agree. And then, no matter how much information you present them, it's like if they decide right now your window is closed, so mm-hmm. I can't see what's happening outside. I good. decided that it's snowing outside, and you could open the window and show me it's not. And I'll be like, eh, maybe. I mean, I don't know. No, I'm actually, not really it's, it. it is snowing outside, and that's exactly yeah, how we deal like with chancing. a lot of things in sports and everything else. So it just. Sometimes it's mind-boggling. You know it's also good for a quarterback? Not being behind in the fourth quarter, so you don't need to come back like Teddy. No. And, Get a lead in the third. The, Might help. The, the whole sports thing of being like... <laughs> oh, you're such a troller. <clears throat> Let's call it. Pause this. Let's come back. For the record, everything Matthew Collar just said, I agree with 100%, and it frustrates me just as much. And watching... like It was like watching... It was like watching somebody else. I don't know. I had an out-of-body experience watching you freak out on Chansey. Mackey and Judd. <laughs> Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. May I present a pair of fellow sophisticates. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. So just to carry over this this conversation. So you and I are in, I, I wish I could fight you more on this, but you and I are in lockstep about the Bridgewater facts that the only big, and it's the elephant in the room, is how will the knee respond yeah, over time, no short-term and long-term. Like, if you want to have an argument about Bridgewater, that's the argument. Because we've debunked all of the, well, only threw 14 touchdown passes. Well, but he, but he threw, A, fewer passes than any quarterback in the league that year. And also, B, he had six attempts on, like, first and goal from inside the 10-yard line. And five of them were touchdowns. But I will say this on the other side of the argument. If you're going into, and Pellicer brought this up, if you're going into a Super Bowl season potentially... Kirk Cousins, who's going to cost a lot more, is much more of a sure thing mm-hmm. than Teddy Bridgewater. Certainly. So like, there's definitely anti-Bridgewater arguments to be had, but so many of them are ridiculous. And if you, if, if you know that Mike Zimmer loves Bridgewater, and if you as a Vikings fan love Mike Zimmer and think he's one of the top five coaches in the NFL, which I think he is, he lost a little cred in the NFC Championship game, but I still think he's a great coach. Why would you isolate his opinion on Bridgewater, and say, that's the thing I vehemently disagree with. I love Mike Zimmer. I think he's a genius. I think he's the best coach the, the franchise has had in decades. But I think he's wrong about Teddy Bridgewater. Why? Like, that's the thing that puzzles me, that so many people who think Mike Zimmer's a genius vehemently disagree with his opinion on Teddy Bridgewater. Well, that, that that's where the holdup is for me, is that if you're going to make an anti-Teddy Bridgewater argument, you've got one right there, and it's totally reasonable. And I'll the agree, knee. And I'll agree with you, right, yeah. is that you don't know. So if you're going to bring back Bridgewater, you have to make sure that your number two is Case Keenum, who you know what you've got, or it's A.J. McCarron, who's the kind of hot backup guy who's going to come in and maybe be a starter for some team or maybe some team gives him a chance to compete for a spot but he'd be a very good backup so you've got to make sure that you have that if you're going to go back to Bridgewater totally agree he might come back and have no idea how to play football anymore it's been two years I don't know how that's going to work out or what we could have is a Sam Bradford situation where he shows some promise and then the knee goes bad again and you've just spent money on him and you've invested in him and then you're just out of luck because the knee goes bad. I'll agree with all of that. But if you are a Vikings fan and you watched all the games from 2015, then you know all the things that were working against him and how well the team performed, and you saw them win their division, and you saw him drive down the field against Seattle. Like You saw all that, too. I mean, you you know these things. So I th- then you just start reaching, grasping for air because you like Keenum. But you can—here's the thing. It's crazy. 
You don't have to pick one. This you, is this isn't one of those shows can, on TV where you, you just can, scream can, at each like, other. Right. You you can say, you know what? I think Keenum's a pretty good quarterback. Like, okay, yeah. I mean, he proved everybody it's, wrong last year that he could be an thing. NFL quarterback. So Keenum and Bridgewater, it's likely that both of them are going to compete. I think that's the the most likely scenario is that they're going to compete in training camp for the starting quarterback job, that they're both going to be back. Both have flaws that make you question whether they are the guy for 2018 and long-term. For Bridgewater, it's knee, and is there really another level to his game? You know, there's questions. With Keenum, he throws a lot of reckless passes. He had five very bad, mediocre to really bad seasons before. Like, both have upside, both have questions, yet we only look at Case's upside and only look at Teddy's questions. And, and Why is that? The point about the reckless pass is the reason we keep going back to it is because of things that Mike Zimmer has said. On the record, you can go find them. I'm not making them up. This isn't fake news. He's he obsessed over the, the poor interceptions, and he was clearly concerned about it. It was something that he even mentioned talking to Case Keenum about. So the point is just that it may influence the decision that he made the reckless pass at the end of the game in New Orleans or close to the end of the game and then made the reckless pass again in Philadelphia that hurt them. Also, real quick, just real quick, on the touchdown point, I love to just go year to year to just present how ridiculous it is to grade quarterbacks by their touchdown passes. I just pulled up a random year, 2005, the year in which Gus Farratt threw more touchdowns than Ben Roethlisberger and Jake DeLome threw more touchdowns than Brett Favre. You could go year to year to year to year, and you will find this all over the place. That's a great nugget. So throughout the rest of the show, I'll just pull up a year and give you hilarious touchdown numbers. You can go do ahead. the same thing for yards, too, by the way. 651-646-8255. What's up, Henry? Good morning, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. I promise I have a couple of quick points on Coach Zimmer, but I wanted to lead with an observation for you, Matthew, and I promise I'm not trolling you. I promise. Uh, I agree with a lot of your takes, and I know, God knows, you spend 100 hours watching film. I, I don't do that. I couldn't do that. Um, but I, I, you do lose me just a little bit, and I mean this sincerely, when you blame Keenum for not knowing that David Morgan was going to get beat on the strip sack in the NFC Championship game, but you don't seem to blame the coaches who put Morgan in the position to get beat in the first place. Well, no, no, I, you're right. I mean, that, that protection, I don't know why they were doing that. I mean, I, I wonder if he was Keenum was supposed to roll to the right because sometimes if, if you're going to move everybody blocking right and then have your tight end alone with the defensive end, that usually means, you see it at the goal line a lot, that usually means that the quarterback is supposed to roll out more, yep. which maybe was what he was supposed to do, but there was some collapsing in front of him. It's just that It's just that with that particular play, He's getting rushed and doesn't sense it. And one of the things he did all year long was hold on to the ball for a long time. It's really interesting. When you look at the difference between how long he held on to the ball versus his average yards per completion, usually they correlate, right? Usually it's doesn't hold on to the ball, throws short passes. With Keenum, a lot of his completions were short throws, but he held on to the ball a lot. And you saw him do that running around, holding the ball. And that's sometimes how you end up getting strip sacked. So that's kind of my criticism there. But you're, I mean, you make a fair point that it's not it, something went wrong there. It's just turning the ball over drives Mike Zimmer insane. Yeah, and, and I it's think something that Keenum did at key times. I would say this, Henry, and then and then get to your Zimmer point. The point of the conversation for earlier this hour wasn't to put a hundred percent blame on Keenum for the interception and the strip sack. It's if you're Mike Zimmer and you are already 
50-50 at best on the fence about Keenum, which I think it's pretty obvious that he was. And then those things happen, even if it's only 20% Case Keenum's fault, you're kind of you, you might write that guy off. That was the point. No, and and that's a good point in terms of the psychology that Coach Zimmer is bringing, the mindset that he's bringing to, to this decision and to the next season. And that gets me to my main points, um, first of which is why, given that I think you're, you're obviously right that there is a, uh, a distrust factor for Coach Zimmer with Case Keenum, why is this even a quandary, really? Because it seems to me it's not fair to Coach Zimmer if this would be imposed upon him from above. It's not even fair to Keenum to bring him back in a situation if the coach, for whatever reason, doesn't, rightly or wrongly, doesn't trust him, doesn't believe in him. And then the second point I wanted to make is I think it's a particularly bad idea to bring Keenum back with Teddy Bridgewater if, again, given the conventional wisdom, which I believe to be accurate, uh, Coach Zimmer, you know, loves Teddy. Uh, to me, that, that just is a recipe for a disaster along these lines. It's, it, it's as if, if you, we all know, even to bring Keenum back for one year, you've got to pay him a, a, a lot more money than last year, much less to get, do a long-term uh, commitment of sorts. Um, to me, if you have Teddy there, too, it's like you're marrying Keenum, metaphorically speaking, but you're, keeping, but you're not that sure about him, and you're keeping your true love Teddy as sort of the live-in maid. I don't think that works. That's also, Henry, it's a great phone call. It's also why Teddy-Josh McCown is a combination. Yeah. Josh McCown's history with John Filippo. McCown is also very similar statistically to Keenum. Also, by the way, that that's how we can do it. You could say, hey, I didn't really agree with that thing you said. Can you explain it? Yeah, sure. That's fine. Yeah, like, that, was, that was good. That was a good uh, call. Re- just real quick. Um, in 2007, Derek Anderson had more touchdown passes than Brett Favre and Drew Brees. No, he's he's better quarterback. But easily, I'd go with him. Better quarterback. I bet Derek Anderson didn't throw fourteen touchdowns that season either, huh? No. Maybe get closer to thirty. He threw twenty nine. You know, uh, speaking of touchdowns, Luther Rookdale Toyota is the metaphorical touchdown in the Twin Cities. Sure. Six ninety four in Brooklyn Boulevard is the goal line that you can cross to get to. That's a really no, no. But you know what? They've got some great deals. In fact, a brand new Camry with all the new safety features and all the new technological bells and whistles with the upgraded Entune system, touchscreen, allowing you to connect your phone or a mobile device to the car. You can make it, hell, you can make a dinner reservation from your car now with the Entune system. $199 a month for a 36 month lease. I also recommend the RAV4 spaciousness. It's an SUV, one of the most popular SUVs in the world. And it handles more like a Camry or a Corolla. And again, all the safety features. Go check out one of those brand new RAV4s. Get a test drive. Open until 9 o'clock tonight as part of the President's Day sale. This is your last day, obviously, to take advantage of that. 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. All right, let's get right to the heart of this thing. Mackie and Judd are back. Awesome. On 1500 ESPN. Help fight type 1 diabetes by joining 1500 ESPN and Channel 5 and 45 at Mall of America. This Saturday, February 24th, for the JDRF One Walk. Join Team KSTP, co-captained by 1500 ESPN's Phil Mackey and Channel 5's Chris Eggert and Megan Newquist. You can help us raise money for type 1 diabetes research. All team members receive a free Team KSTP t-shirt. For more details and to join the team, head to 1500ESPN.com keyword events together. 
we can turn type one into type none. All right, co- collars in for Judd here. We're talking Vikings quarterback. It started off as some innocent, reckless speculation like an hour ago. And now uh, now everyone's fighting over Bridgewater and Keenum. Here's an email from Carter. Chancey, the caller, nailed it. And Matthew is also providing his own point about today's discussion around politics, for instance. Cherry, pick the stats you think help your argument and pretend like the facts that don't help don't exist. You guys, including Judd and PMAC, Want to want to pretend that the Vikings offense was somehow conservative with Bridgewater and somehow not consider that it was conservative because of Bridgewater, that his lack of arm strength, uh, his slow release and crazy pump faking three to four times before doing nothing and his overall ineffectiveness that um, that that contributed to the conservative nature of the offense. I mean, this, this is what this is what I mean. Is Dave, like Dave agrees with that. I'm trying to think of a political example that won't like make everyone upset because there's a lot of that. Good too. luck. But yeah, I know. I mean, I'm just gonna go. We all agree that we don't all agree on the climate thing, but that's close enough to we all know that something's going on out there that isn't normal. <laughs> Careful, right? GL's so, up in an yeah, hour. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, well, like just think about that. Is where you could be like, look. So the important way that we could see that we've got an issue with the climate is this chart that shows you how it's getting warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer all the time. And your trained people who study this stuff all the time say, that's probably bad and we should do something to deal with that, right? All of that, very reasonable. I think no matter who you vote for, you should look at that and go, yeah, okay. Sure. Right, okay. That Maybe we should do something about that. Uh, but there's always a section who's going to go, ah. The earth warmed once before, so all your data means nothing. That's what that person just did to me with Bridgewater. So I watch football all the time, and I study statistics all the time, and I look at all these different factors and pick out some of the key statistics about Bridgewater that would tell you about his performance as a quarterback and how close he could take you to winning. Touchdown passes is not one of those. As I pointed out how... Lots of mediocre to bad quarterbacks have thrown a lot of touchdowns. That doesn't mean you want Derek Anderson over Drew Brees. Well, I I would amend that, and I would say you can't say that touchdown passes are irrelevant, but the reason why he only had 14 touchdown passes is not reflective of him being bad at throwing the ball or he would have had more touchdown passes, even in a limited system and being in his first and second year in the NFL, if other things had been more catered to him, like, throw the ball more often in situations that are red zone or inside the 10. And throwing the ball between 11 and 20 yards, the uh, mid-range throws, was where he got his highest grades in 2015 from pro football focus. So again, not me just making stuff up. Like this is, I can show you these things and I link these things in articles. And being down by one score in the fourth quarter, he performed at a very similar level to the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Again, this is this is not something that I just tried to finagle. Being down right. in the fourth quarter by a score is something oh. we can all connect to. And by the way, I should mention, too, a couple things here. So you're as objective as it comes with this evaluation. Number one, because you weren't even working in the Twin Cities when Bridgewater was drafted. You were working in Buffalo for or a different— Or when he played. Right. So you're looking at all of the, the players involved here and all of the different peripheral factors and making a judgment— not even saying that Teddy Bridgewater should for sure be their quarterback, but you're coming to conclusions independent of of subjective bias. In my opinion, when I look and, at when I look at your evaluation, and a part of anything that I tell you here on the old radio station is also coming from the sense that the organization gives you. 
from talking with wide receivers, from talking with the head coach on a daily basis. I don't know how many uh, times did I listen to Mike Zimmer talk this year? 150 probably. So all of these things come from information gathering from many different sources. And where I come, where I come to a conclusion is that not only is Teddy Bridgewater a good quarterback who has the potential to lead a very good team deep in the playoffs, but that the organization was as high on him as you could be coming out of the 2015 season. So if you're telling me that everyone, the wide receivers, the head coach, the GM, they all decided that they really liked this quarterback and they wanted him to be their franchise guy. And I tell you all the information for the reasons that they did. And then you just go, yeah, but 14 touchdowns. Like, well, I don't, I don't really know how to help you then because Matt Castle threw 27 touchdowns. And what year am I at? 2010. And I don't know who's with who's Kansas city or and, somebody. And ben Roethlisberger threw 17. So like, I mean, come on, like, the touchdown passes thing drives me crazy. Maybe the fourth quarter thing. You said Teddy's number is just as good as some of the best quarterbacks in the league. Maybe that's the case because the best quarterbacks in the league are only behind in the fourth against really good defense, <laughs> not the mediocre crap that Teddy was facing. Well, all right, Dave's got some questions when we come back. And we'll let him take the lead. Mackie and Joe. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 2. I could see beyond the Black Hills and the way they called for exploration. I could feel the air, the way it paints against skin and fills hungry lungs. I could hear the way the water ran for miles, and the way the bison grazed, the way our boots meet the earth as we step past expected. I could imagine my time in South Dakota, and I wish to go back, because there's so much South Dakota, so little time.